Welcome to Proceeding Horizons, a podcast for exploring topics in astronomy and space science. Since antiquity, humans have gazed at the night sky, attempting to decipher its mysteries and find our place within it. As astronomer Edwin Hubble once remarked, the history of astronomy is a history of receding horizons. Our podcast will attempt to answer some of the biggest questions from the oldest of sciences. The mission of this podcast is to explore topics of astronomy and space exploration and share them with the community of Brownsville, Texas. Our valley is entering into the next phase of human space exploration and participating in the era of multi-messenger astronomy. We are providing a forum of discussion among people of all ages and expertise to bring awareness about our role in this next exciting era. These are Receding Horizons. This sketch roughly indicates the current conception of the realm of the nebulae. It is the culmination of a line of research that began long ago. The history of astronomy is a history of receding horizons. Knowledge has spread in successive waves, each wave representing the exploitation of some new clue to the interpretation of observational data. The exploration of space presents three such phases. At first, the explorations were confined to the realm of the planets. Then they spread through the realm of the stars. And finally, they penetrated into the realm of the nebulae. The successive phases were separated by long intervals of time. Although the distance of the moon was well known to the Greeks, the order of the distance of the sun and the scale of planetary distances was not established until the latter part of the 17th century. Distances of stars were first determined almost exactly a century ago, and distances of nebulae in our own generation. The distances were the essential data. Until they were found, no progress was possible. The early explorations halted at the edge of the solar system, facing a great void that stretched away to the nearer stars. The stars were unknown quantities. They might be little bodies relatively near, or they might be gigantic bodies vastly remote. Only when the gap was bridged, only when the distances of a small sample collection of stars had been actually measured, was the nature determined of the inhabitants of the realm beyond the solar system. Then, the explorations operating from an established base among the now familiar stars swept rapidly through the whole of the stellar system. Again, there was a halt in the face of an even greater void, but again, when instruments and technique had sufficiently developed, the gap was bridged by the determination of the distances of a few of the nearer nebulae. Once more, with the nature of the inhabitants known, the exploration swept even more rapidly through the realm of the nebulae and halted only at the limits of the greatest telescope. These are the words of the astronomer Edwin Hubble, which were written in 1936. The book is The Realm of the Nebulae. Uh, that's from chapter one, the exploration of space section, receding horizons. Now, why did I read that quote? Well, our title, the title of this podcast is Receding Horizons and we have to give credit to where credit is due. Uh, Edwin Hubble coined that term almost 100 years ago. The nebulae he's actually talking about were what we are what we call now galaxies. Uh, it, it wasn't until very recently, astronomically speaking and historically speaking, that uh, we knew that nebulae and galaxies were actually very different. There's these fuzzy patches in the sky and it was impossible to tell up until recently if they were within our galaxy or if those were other galaxies like ours just really far away. 
So the title of this podcast is Receding Horizons. We're going to be exploring topics in astronomy, space exploration, and developments in Texas related to those. My name is Richard Camuccio. I'm one of the co-hosts of the podcast. My name is Victor de los Santos, and I am the other co-host. We're also very good friends and partners in the South Texas Astronomical Society, and uh, th- we hope that this podcast brings uh, more enrichment to your lives and um, keeps you up to date with all the latest astronomical developments. So let's let's talk about who we are as as people. Victor, why don't we start with you? T- tell me about yourself. Tell the audience, how did you get involved into space and astronomy? What's your background? Give us a story. Sure. Uh, I was born and raised in Brownsville, Texas. Uh, I went to Texas A&M College Station. I got a business degree. And then I moved back to Brownsville. The the Valley and and Brownsville specifically, there's always been a special place in my heart for for these locations. You know, it's always been home to me. I, I never wanted to leave. I saw potential here. Um, I, I had no idea where that potential was going to lead, but but man, <laughs> so I I came back with I got a job um, in software development. I became a project manager for a software development uh, company, a small private owned business. I started working uh, very closely with software developers based out of Argentina. Uh, through that job, I, I started learning things I'd, I'd never known before. I started learning how things work, how technology works, and things that I'd never had, had never been introduced to me before. And when that happened, it sparked interest in everything, not just how technology works, but how everything works. Uh, soon after, around 2017, I started reading heavily for the first time in my life. <laughs> it took a, a few decades, but I finally got into reading. And I started, I got really into space exploration and, and astronomy. I uh, started reading, uh, Sean Carroll was the first big one, um, and, and Carl Sagan. And I got into just these topics. And, and then not too long after that, in 2018, I bumped into... Uh, an observatory located about 10 minutes from my house. Um, actually recording this podcast from that observatory right now, the Christina Torres Memorial Observatory. I had no idea it was here, but after the, the reading, uh, after what I've started learning, I knew what it was. And so I started asking around and I got directed to the university, the local university, uh, University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, and their department of physics. Uh, I was pointed to the direction of Dr. Mario Diaz, professor of physics and astronomy and director of the observatory. And he told me a little bit about the science that that they were doing, specifically his groups. Um, There's the Time Domain Astronomy Group, the Center for Gravitational Wave Astronomy, which we will definitely get into later. And uh, and he told me about that. And and he said that I was so interested. There was a lot going on in my hometown that I had no idea was here. And so I, I told him I, I didn't know how, but I wanted to be involved and help out in any way that I could. Uh, so one of the first things he did was point me to the direction of another person named Carol Lutzinger. Carol Lutzinger was with, at the time, with the, in, with the school district here, the Brownsville School District, and she was their science curriculum director. And since 1990, uh, almost 20 years, almost 30 years before that, she had been 
running something, a, a group she called the South Texas Astronomical Society and doing outreach for space and science uh, here in Brownsville and wherever she could, anywhere that, that let her, you know, go set up her portable planetarium and uh, her and her friends would bring their telescopes and just share it with the public. Um, they had been inactive for the last few years, but I met up with Carol and and she told me a bit about what she had been doing. And I was really interested and I thought, man, there's a lot of cool stuff going on here in Brownsville, in the Rio Grande Valley, and more people need to know about it. So she um, kind of handed that organization over to me and I looked back at, uh, I joined forces with Richard and with uh, another team member named Maki who, who kind of helped rebrand and we just relaunched the organization and, and, and started showing people what the local scene has to offer in terms of uh, space exploration and science and all the, all of those things. Um, yeah, I just, I'm here now because I just, I, I didn't know that much a few years ago and I still don't know as much as Richard here and a lot of the people that I work with, but I'm hoping I keep uh, learning every time we do anything, including this podcast. And, uh, and yeah, I hope to share that with everybody. It's very exciting when you start on a journey of discovery and you don't know where it's going to take you. And now suddenly we're making a podcast almost three years later and talking about uh, so many different exciting projects that we never thought we would be, we'd be starting. Yeah. So why don't you talk about yourself now? <laughs> sure. Well, it's interesting. You said that you're a Brownsville native. I'm not a Brownsville native, but I'm, I've lived in Brownsville for almost four years. I'm originally from uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I pursued my graduate studies in Texas. So in, in 2016, I moved to Brownsville, Texas to pursue my master's degree at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. And through my work there, I met Dr. Mario Diaz, and he became my research advisor uh, and my mentor. So uh, my, my job was to assist in the direction of the Christina Torres Memorial Observatory, uh, run the research there, and train other undergraduates uh, in the art of op observing, uh, of observational astronomy. Um, I've always been interested in space since I was, since I could remember. I mean, I remember getting a telescope when I was six, watching Star Wars every weekend on VHS, the original trilogy. I've probably seen a hundred times each episode, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, I've always had my sights of space exploration as well. Uh, my goal excuse me, my goal is to become an astronaut. And that's why I'm here, partially why I'm here talking to you and everybody else who's listening um, and why I'm pursuing. Right now I'm at actually uh, Lubbock, Texas at Texas Tech University. I just graduated from UTRGV with my master's uh, this past year. And now I'm getting my doctorate in physics, so which will take a, quite a bit of time, but that's why I'm, you know, I'm investing this time here now. Um, and I'm eventually going to become a pilot and go down that path as well. So this has been a lifelong passion of mine. I've also always loved podcasting uh, pretty much since high school I got into it. And uh, this, is, this is still actually pretty new to me, even though it's been almost a decade of this, uh, especially because we've had to adapt. This podcast has taken many forms in the past. So Victor and I and, and, and Maki had started Receding Horizons uh, last year. And we were doing this in person until um, we had to stop for 
unfortunate reasons. Now we're doing it virtually and we're doing it in a new format. So this pilot episode is really exploring not only uh, the topics of what this podcast is about, but Victor and I are exploring in situ right now how this podcast is actually going to work. So this is the pilot episode. This is what we're going to be talking about. Uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about what is STARS, the South Texas, Te- South Texas Astronomical Society. So you, you described its history briefly, um, and there's a rebranding, and now we've been a few years into this initiative. What, what is STARS doing now? What does it serve? What is its missions? Um, what, what projects, maybe an overview of the projects uh, is STARS doing right now? Sure. Uh, well, we should start out by saying, yeah, the South Texas Astronomical Society, or shortened by uh, STARS, is a community-based nonprofit organization focusing on astronomy and space science. That's our slogan, our catchphrase, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we actually, we've, did, we've received our, our nonprofit status last year um, in March, uh, around the time those unfortunate events, uh, COVID, happened. And so we had to not hold events, but like Richard said, we're doing things in a different format now and working with what we have. And we really do have a lot to work with. There's um, still a lot going on, as everybody can see. Space exploration is not slowing down. And so we are not either. Uh, We have a few projects going on. Uh, Receding Horizons is one of them. I think by now maybe we have a good idea of what this uh, initiative entails. Maybe we can start off by talking about some of the initiatives that we that we started with, the ones that that you know that brought us together, that that brought that um, first relaunched version of Stars together. Um, so we started with uh, star parties. I think that was one of the the most important ones. We stargazing events. That's how it started. That's what uh, I think. That's you know what an astronomy organization should pride itself on and be based on. We, we bring people out to the park here, to Resaca de la Palma State Park, where the Cristina Torres Memorial Observatory is located. Um, we would also have people meet up at Laguna Tascosa National Wildlife Refuge, which is a little bit farther north, uh, and it's a lot darker out there. It's very nice. Um, so we, STARS really prides it itself on being able to work with the community you know space and science is is something for everybody it's something that should be and should always be uh, all inclusive and so when i think a lot of people a lot of people know that a lot of people see the power of of astronomy and science and and how, how it could attract people and so we find a park we'll find a a bar, <laughs> we find a, a venue, we just find a stage and, and we bring astronomy and space science to that and, and hopefully and people will show up. Uh, right now that's not the case, but hopefully we can still recreate a, a version of that uh, virtually. Yeah, that's, that's, been, that's been the biggest thing right now is adapting all of our initiatives to virtual, but I think, I think we've been doing a good job. I, I should say as someone who's not from Brownsville coming in, I noticed and this is maybe something we could talk about as well right now, uh, the, 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 the climate, so to speak, of South Texas. And I don't just mean the, the terrestrial and meteorological climate. I mean, South Texas is, a, it's a valley. It's the Rio Grande Valley. Um, it's, it's subtropical. It's arid. It's on a gulf. Uh, it's right on the Gulf of Mexico. Like, so it's in, and it's on the border of Mexico. So it's tucked away very neatly in the bottom tip of Texas. And it's, it's got a very interesting crossover, a lot of different things. I mean, we could talk about 
like all of the different wildlife that's there. I mean, you mentioned Resaca de la Palma. If you love birds, you could bird watch 365 days of the year. There's so many different migratory patterns that come through that one area. Um, there's a lot of bugs. There's a lot of palm trees and and uh, you can go to the Gulf of Mexico. It's a 20, 30 minute drive from Brownsville. Uh, Boca Chica is right there as well, which is um, a bay that is the site of the world's first private spaceport. SpaceX has built the Boca Chica launch site there and is testing rockets, launching rockets there. And the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley and Texas Southmost College operate there as well, uh, serving uh, an astronomical community primarily in, in their research. Gravitational waves, a lot of the stuff that's happened in the news over the last five years about the detection and discovery of gravitational waves, a lot of the fundamental research has occurred at, at the Center for Gravitational Wave Astronomy. Uh, Mario Diaz is the director of that, and that, that occurs there. There's, um, there's also uh, radio astronomy occurring there. And as I said, SpaceX and the United Launch Alliance also operates in the Rio Grande Valley as well. So there's this, this tremendous transformation uh, that's going on in the valley. I think over the next 30 to 50 years, uh, you're going to see the influx of a lot of business that's related to space. You're going to see the community. And actually, this is our main mission is to bring the community awareness of what's happening in this historical moment of time. I mean, we are entering a new era of space exploration where it's not done by governments primarily anymore. The private industry is taking that and really advancing it in a fundamental way that hasn't been done ever in history before. So people need to know that. And I think the Valley is going to transform tremendously because of this. And STARS serves that purpose, serves to be that forum of discussion uh, of, of bringing together everybody under this banner, but then also teaching people the necessary skills and, and updating people on all the latest astronomical events. So I, that's, that's my perspective from the outside in. Victor said he's from the Valley and he's invested in the Valley just as much. So just, just as I'm plugging the Valley quite a bit here, but like I moved there and I fell in love with it. So um, it's definitely a very, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a treasure. And it's something that we definitely want to expand upon over the next year, all for, for all time really, but over the next decade for sure. Yeah, and that's awesome. And I, I love hearing that from, I mean, I know you said you're an outsider, but you did live here for a long time. It, 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 it was your home, it still is your home. And I, I like I, I said before, I, I always saw something here that, that not everybody, every, not everybody shared that view, but you're right, everything you mentioned, we, um, this is, there's so many wildlife refugees and, and so many different species of wildlife. Uh, the Gladys Porter Zoo is, is one of the top zoos in the country. It's a beautiful place and it's in the, the Midi Cultural District, which is just a, an up and coming cultural district full of museums and, and art and culture. Uh, downtown Brownsville is, is also on the come up with a lot of cool culturistic things. We're right on the border uh, on the, on the, U.S. and Mexico border, which, you know, there's a lot of, they call it the crossroads of, of culture, and it's very evident, and it's, it's very beautiful. Um, we're right next to South Padre Island, one of the, which a lot of people only have heard of because of spring break, but <laughs> all days of the year, even when it's cold, it's a, it's a beautiful beach, it's a beautiful place. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much that, that is just cool here. And I'm glad that, that people are seeing that now. And then, like you said, the space exploration aspect of it is just kind of the cherry on top. We have SpaceX building Starship right here. The whole world now knows about 
Boca Chica Beach in Brownsville, Texas, in Cameron County and the Rio Grande Valley. And, and then, uh, you know, they call it the, they started coining the term, the gateway to Mars, uh, which I think was first coined, might've been first coined by our good friend, Austin Barnard. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. I heard, I only heard it from him. So. Mm-hmm. And then they started putting it on mugs. I have a mug in my house that they gave me that says, uh, um, gateway, the gateway to Mars. I mean, I heard that too, that the, that most likely, I think it's pretty much a certainty at this point, the first people to land on Mars will be launching from Boca Chica next to Brownsville. So that site is a, is history in the making. I mean, every static fire test, every hop that they do there is history in the making and it's right there in the Valley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely. And then at the university also, I was, uh, I was going to say they call it the, the gateway to Mars, but I like to see it. the first, we had an event, an online event, uh, what was it, last September in, in celebration of uh, International Astronomy and Observe the Moon Day, International Astronomy Day and Observe the Moon Night. And, right. uh, and we called it Gateway to the Cosmos because that's, that's how I like to see it. That's what it is. Uh, yeah, we're a gateway to Mars. And yes, the first humans uh, from the Earth that step foot on Mars are more than likely going to come from Boca Chica Beach. But uh, we're also there at the university here looking at, uh, at distant galaxies and, and listening to, well, not listening, sorry, they do that somewhere else. Uh, uh, you <laughs> can listen at, to them. Yeah. It's looking at, at merging neutron stars and, and looking for, you know, the sign, the earliest signs of the universe. And so from the farthest reaches from not just the next planet, but millions and, and maybe even billions of light years away. So truly is a, a gateway to the entire cosmos, to the universe. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the astronomical aspect too, because uh, the the Valley is not just uh, innovating and, and pushing forward in space exploration. But as I mentioned before, and as Victor said, the Center for Gravitational Wave Astronomy is there at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, which is dead center in Brownsville. Um, there's a campus also in Edinburgh, which is an hour north. Um, and at the Center for Gravitational Wave Astronomy, there was a lot of developments uh, early on, if you've heard of LIGO and Virgo and these discoveries of merging hey, black Richard. holes. Yeah. What's a gravitational wave? Oh, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> I know you asked me that before once too. In front, in front of everybody and everybody looks at me. <laughs> I start sweating. Um, that, and that's, that, but just to get to the point there is that not only is space exploration going through a new phase, but astronomy, um, many people might not realize that we've entered a new era of astronomy five years ago. So in 2015, um, we detected for the first time a new type of signal that's not carried by electromagnetic force at all. So it's not light, it's not radio, it's not gamma rays, it's none of the electromagnetic spectrum. It's a whole separate force called gravity. And we detected waves of gravity, gravitational waves from objects in the distant universe. So we've entered into a new era, what has been firmly established as the era of multi-messenger astronomy. It no longer is one messenger carrying the signals of the sky to us. It's now many messengers. and well, why is that important? Well, because it's like this. If you're only looking at the sky in optical light, you only get a very small glimpse of what's actually going on. It wasn't until the discovery of radio waves from space that we saw, you know, meteors leave radio trails and the sun emits radio waves. And we learned so much just by looking through a different window. This is completely fundamentally different. This is now we're looking at a different carrier altogether, a different channel. And so we get a much more complete picture of the sky of these events 
And the Center for Gravitational Wave Astronomy developed a lot of that. I mean, there's scientists working there still to this day who were the, um, the first, they, they made all of the first uh, engineering and scientific uh, discoveries, so to speak, of LIGO. So like LIGO was developed at many places, but uh, University of Texas Brownsville at the time, Rio Grande Valley now, was one of those meccas of discovery. Uh, I worked with, uh, Victor and I both um, work with Mario Diaz, who is one of the LIGO members. And, and it's just really exciting to see all of these different crossovers in one place, not just, like I said, space exploration, but also multi-messenger astronomy in Brownsville. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. We actually have another uh, really good friend and, and another STARS board member, Brina Martinez, who is a LIGO fellow. She's done a lot of research with them over the last few years, and she will more than likely be on the podcast uh, pretty soon. Oh, yeah, she will. She's, um, I mean, she's an inspiration to me because I saw how quickly she got into LIGO and, 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 and made such awesome, I mean, like the work that I saw her do, I saw her present at a conference uh, that, that we had here. And that stuff with LIGO is not easy. I mean, gravitational waves, you ask what gravitational waves are, and it's, it's not really easy to describe. You can, you could say that, you know, so you've heard that space and time curve and Einstein's relativity redescribed what gravity actually is. It's not a force. It's, it's actually a response to curvature. So you could say that gravitational waves are changes in that curvature that are produced by um, very massive objects. I mean, everything really produces gravitational waves, but the only ones that are even marginally detectable are ones that are very loud. As you said, loud, you could hear them. It's actually audible in a sense because it, it, it shakes space and time. And so only very massive objects can produce gravitational waves that are detectable. So we've seen two black holes merge. We've seen neutron stars, both dead remains of stars. Uh, there's also uh, ancient gravitational waves, which people are trying to detect, but you would need space-based detectors and pulsars to see those, which we'll go into all of that in later time. Uh, the, the main point I'm trying to drive here is that a lot of this fundamental understanding, so like Brina, Brina has been working on uh, analyzing uh, particular types of noise in the detector. And there's actually been, uh, there's a whole group of people at UTRGV dedicated to reducing the noise of the detector. There's um, people at UTRGV who are searching for what's known as compact binary coalescence, which is just two massive objects that spin together. There's people looking for supernovae. We've never heard of supernovae in gravitational waves, and that's being done there as well. And all of these different things are right there in the valley. Yeah. So... Uh, I think also, uh, I guess we can, we also talked about, we, you mentioned CTMO. How does CTMO fit into all this? Because that's actually kind of the centerpiece for STARS, so to speak. I mean, STARS' avenue into all of this that we're talking about was really CTMO. And you're sitting in it, so it must be important. I work there. So, like, tell, what, what's up with CTMO? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, first off, I'm, I'm actually here because my Wi-Fi is a little bit not, not that great at my house and the Wi-Fi here is a lot better. So uh, we decided for the quality of this podcast, it will be best for me to record here. <laughs> but come, you're come, right. Come it, to CTMO. We have good Wi-Fi. <laughs> that's our selling point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but um, yeah, CTMO is, is a, it's a huge deal. And, and Dr. Mario Diaz, he's a great... Uh, person, you know, his one of his goals, his, the main goals is, of course, the science, uh, of course, detecting electromagnetic counterparts to gravitational waves. And there's also not just that, but other science. Uh, we have 
other research on supernovae and on, on asteroids and all kinds of things here, variable stars, anything in the, in the time domain, which is the transients, things that change over time. Um, but yeah, but the, the goal here that, that Dr. Diaz always saw his vision is, is not just to do the science, not just for the scientists to do the science, which it's for the public to know about it and to, to see it and to come out and, and engage with the observatory and with the scientists and ask questions and, and be a part of what's going on. And, and that, I think, you're right, CTMO and STARS uh, are one and the same because the CTMO is, is the science, space science, and they represent that here in Brownsville and the Rio Grande Valley. And STARS, we are the ones uh, trying to bring in the community to, to be a part of it. And, and yeah, unfortunately, we, people um, cannot come out physically right now to the observatory, but uh, starting very soon, we, we are looking for, for ways to do that through uh, Zoom, through online methods, but we, you know, we're, we're going to keep making sure that the community is involved because that's important. Yeah, it's also interesting you brought that up too, because one of the, one of the most unique things I, I, that I've seen about CTMO as an observatory is this idea that uh, that Mario uh, has been developing over the last uh, several years, which is a telescope cluster, this like little, what, what we like to call a telescope farm. And there's a cluster of nine miniature domes right behind the big white dome. There's small, like nine cluster of little white domes, each with a telescope. And the idea is that they're remote controlled. And that's really interesting you brought that up about virtual because this is a way for the valley to become connected virtually. They can visit a website and see, oh, what's look, what are these telescopes looking at right now? Um, there's also going to be command and control, remote command and control. So local high schools who want to develop astronomy cu- curriculums can use an observational component at CTMO by accessing and taking their own data remotely and learning astronomy, not just necessarily from the textbook level where you're learning about the astrophysics and all the different things in the sky and and, and you know the, you know the science behind them, but um, from an observational approach, right? How did we build a picture of the sky? How do we know that two black holes are merging a billion light years away when all you got was a voltage change in an a- and, and actually like you're measuring you're measuring something here, and somehow that translates to this grand astronomical picture. Teaching students that way from that direction is very unique, and CTMO would serve that remotely nonetheless. So that can still move forward at this point. Um, and, and it'll allow star parties to occur uh, quite easily on the virtual level. Yeah, definitely. I think before the end of this year is the goal to have um, at least a few of, of, the, of the miniature observatories and miniature domes in that telescope farm uh, up and running. And I think there was going to be some that were dedicated to things, right? I think the one of them was going to be uh, dedicated to observations of the sun and yeah yeah that um well actually stars inspired me for one of them which was a moon observer because at uh at the what was it the which what was the the the, the event we did where we were looking at the lunar eclipse i forget what the event was called but we were looking at a lunar eclipse and this was one of the first stars events and apparently that night some astronomer captured a small meteor striking the surface of the moon and it got me interested in maybe okay one of these telescopes can be dedicated to detecting impacts on the moon and then you have another observatory another dome which was i got inspiration from visiting mcdonald observatory uh 
which is right outside of Fort Davis, Texas. Um, they have a solar observatory that is open during the day and it's constantly looking at the sun in different filters, looking at the sunspots, looking at solar activity like flares and, and coronal mass ejections. And it would be really interesting uh, to see the sun in these different ways. Uh, and you have one telescope entirely dedicated to that during the day. I mean, you're not using the telescopes during the day, so why not? Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of unique things. And, and the other thing is you can have uh, maybe aperture synthesis work, which is basically instead of one big giant telescope, you have a bunch of little telescopes looking at the same thing. And you can synthesize a picture, a much more complete picture by using a, an array of telescopes. So there's a lot of science that could be done as well as the out outreach and education component of these telescopes at CTML. Yeah, definitely. Uh, since you since you kind of started getting into joint observations, you want to maybe talk about the Southmost Library Observatory that we worked on a bit. Yeah, that's a great segue. I mean, you know, the the that's not the only observatory in Brownsville. There's also the Southmost Library, uh, which is the Brownsville Public Library System. There's two libraries in Brownsville, and one of them's in Southmost, uh, which is kind of by name, it's the southmost town. It's actually more south than Brownsville. And this library has an observatory. It's, um, it's got a Mead reflector. And we were working on it. One of the, star, one of the earliest star projects that we, uh, that we were working on was not necessarily restoring this, but uh, bringing it a little bit more up to speed in terms of the digital technology and having remote access. The, the main goal would be to have two observatories that could one day function in Brownsville and conduct joint observations. So uh, the one that immediately came to mind, actually the main motivation behind that was um, uh, the current assistant director of, of CTMO, uh, Wendy Mendoza, who Victor knows very well, uh, was a colleague of mine. Uh, she uh, is very interested in tracking asteroids. And one night we were, well, we were preparing for this for a while, but one night we were, her and I were observing in, uh, what's known as an occultation, which is when any physical body in the solar system, a planet or an asteroid, in this case, an asteroid, passes in front of a star and so the star will dim and then get bright again as the asteroid passes in front of it and what's really interesting about that is that allows you to find physical attributes of the asteroid so all of the moons and or a lot of the moons and all of the rings of the outer planets were discovered this way when the planet passes in front of the star you would expect just a dip in light but for instance like uranus and neptune when they passed in front of a star there was like a mini dip and then a big dip, and then a mini dip again. And those two mini dips on each side tells us, <clears throat> excuse me, that there's a ring system. So this occultation is really interesting. Um, having two observatories looking at the same thing like that uh, from different angles uh, can give you information about like, for instance, the three-dimensional aspect of the asteroid. You can build a, a model of the asteroid of what it actually looks like. And so um, that's just one example. The other one would be if a gravitational wave occurs, and observatories like CTMO and SLO are looking for what's known as the optical counterpart. So like if two things collide and explode, they produce gravitational waves, but then they also produce an explosion that you could see. The problem is, and you brought this up before, transient time domain, it's very quick. So you would have to really know where to look to catch it. And so when a gravitational wave occurs, SLO and CTMO, could share resources and kind of divvy up the search space. They could both look for it at the same time. And we have plenty of observers who are capable of doing that. I've trained a lot of them and a lot of them are still working right there. So um, SLO could participate in some serious science and it just, it's very close to being at that point. Yeah. 
Man, then if you consider every single one of those miniature domes an observatory, then that's 11 observatories, technically 11 telescope domes in Brownsville. So we will definitely be the first ones to find it every time. <laughs> yeah, you could you could even use your Dobsonian and we could, uh, we could, <laughs> you know, we've had plenty of, we've had people donate telescopes to stars. And uh, that's actually awesome because, you know, uh, having telescopes that people donated to us, uh, allows us to share that resource with with plenty of people because we'll go to a star party or we'll have a stargazing event and we'll be able to then bring those we'll have more equipment for people to use and there's less lines and more people can look at different objects at the same time so yeah we have we have plenty of telescopes yeah looking through a telescope is an, is an amazing experience i think everybody should uh, richard was talking about the that it was actually the, the first event that I helped organize after meeting with Carol, going back to that first story. And it was at, uh, at my mom's elementary school and it was for the super blood wolf moon of 2019. Yeah. 2019. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, we had it at, at my mom's school. We um, got about 400 kids and, and parents on a school night. And, uh, and that was actually the first time that I looked through a telescope too. And uh, remember that was uh, after, not too long after I, I just started getting into astronomy and, and space science. You know, Richard mentioned being into space since he was a kid and knowing that he wanted to be an astronaut. I, I wasn't exposed to it as often, uh, which is unfortunate, but at the same time, I'm glad I found it at some point. And I, I you know, I'm learning what I can in, in, a, in the short amount of time that I've been interested in it. But that that was really the, the first time that I was able to look through a telescope uh, at the moon. And I knew I was going to love it. And I did. And I, it's something beautiful. Uh, Carol, she talks a lot about her first time that she looked through a telescope and, and saw Saturn. And I think she was 47 at the time and it completely changed her life. And ever since then, she's dedicated her life to, to space uh, for the love of it and for the, you know, sharing that gift with other people. And, and that's why I think stars is here. And that's why I think everybody should experience that at some point. Yeah, you're right. And, and that, that's been the number one motivation for me. It was at, a, at CTMO when we have a public observing in the past and, kid looks through the telescope and is like, wow, that's amazing. Or an adult looks through the telescope and is like, wow, that's amazing. I never knew that, that right there, that reaction is the reason why we do what we do. Uh, we've had, you've met, okay, here's another project we could talk about. You mentioned bars. Uh, <laughs> so we've had, we've had public events at a local bar, which I'll let you tell about. And at these events, we're talking about this crazy science uh, and people come up to you after the talks and are like, I didn't know this was even happening here. This is amazing. How do I get more involved? That right there is the fuel for us. So like you should talk about stars on tap, like what we used to do with stars on tap. Yeah, that, that was great. You know? Um, so yeah, like I said, we fill up bars, we fill up, uh, uh, schools, but, but we also, sorry, we fill up, <laughs> I was gonna say, we fill up parks, we fill up schools, but we also fill up bars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it happened uh, almost kind of by accident, like a lot of this feels like, but, but really uh, I, I met um, the owner of a, of a bar downtown here. I, I mentioned before that the Brownsville downtown scene itself is, is really up and coming and, and there's really great places there, uh, Terra's Urban Mexican Kitchen. It's really coming up um, in terms of culture and food and drinks. And one of those places that's, that's making it come up is called Las Ramblas cocktail lounge uh the owner great guy mike 
called Michael Limas. I bumped into him and I met him and I told him, hey man, I really like your bar. And then I told him about stars and I told him that we were looking for a, there were, before this, I think a few years before that, there was another initiative that the university had, had been doing science uh, on tap or uh, uh, nerd night. It was called nerd night. There you go. Yeah. 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 It was called nerd night and they, they were looking to revive it. And, and so we decided to revive it through the South Texas Astronomical Society. So the, I think the first one was in November of 2020. And, and so we said, yeah, we have a great bar. Uh, Mike said, uh, why don't you do it on Tuesdays? There's uh, specials on the, I think it was like, uh, there's a special on the cocktails on Tuesdays. So we, and not a lot of people show up that day to the bar um, on a normal night. So we decided to do the first Tuesday of every month. And, and we, every time we had a theme, the first theme was extraterrestrial life, right? That's right. Yeah. ET and astrobiology. Yeah. Yeah, that was, and it was great. And uh, I, I really wish we could have kept that going. I think they, they just reopened recently. So I don't know, maybe sometime this year we'll get, uh, we'll get back to that. But yeah, we had three really great events there. We had the first one on extraterrestrials, um, where Richard spoke. Uh, we because I'm an extraterrestrial. Had... Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we had another one that was actually a Star Wars one where Richard also spoke because he's <laughs> all right. Nerd status has been uh, proved long ago here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the third, third and, and last one we did uh, as of now, last one, but definitely not the last one yet is uh, the black holes. And that was, that was really cool. That was in March of this year, last yeah. year. Sorry. It's already 2021. That's right. Yeah. Um, I was just looking at pictures of those times. So in future episode, when we go into much more detail about very particular things, I have a ton of pictures from these, these events that we can go through. And a lot of them are on our website, which we'll share a little bit later. Um, but it, yeah, those, those events uh, were definitely some of my favorite ones that we did because of the, the reaction that people had. And, and it just, it was self-reinforcing. Every time we did one of these things, it just gave us a little bit more energy, a little bit more focus and determination to keep this going. Um, and it was definitely, I mean, you know, we, we assumed that people wanted to have this enrichment in their community from the beginning. But then when you actually see it and you're like, yep, we are tapping an untapped potential here in the community for space and exploration. I think this is definitely something that we got to continue to do. Um, if not online, in person someday again. Yeah, definitely. I think leading into that, it's worth mentioning um, one of the other uh, last events that we had, I think shortly before that last Stars on Tap um, was at, at Crossroads. So in Brownsville for, for many, many years, there's been a, an event called Sombrero Festival where we celebrate the, this, the, the Mexican culture and, and it's, it's great. Lots of uh, drinking, lots of uh, good music and, and good beer and good food. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, more recently, the, the city wanted to add a more sophisticated event to that. They wanted to add a more sophisticated viewpoint that also celebrated the, the culture. Uh, so they, they came up with another event called Crossroads Festival, kind of uh, modeling it off of South by Southwest that happens in Austin. And so uh, Sombrero Festival was Thursday through Saturday or Sunday of, of that last weekend in February. And it has been that way for, the, for a very long time now. 
And so the city decided, well, let's take the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and make that three days of celebrating the crossroads of culture, uh, you know, in terms of politics, food, art, music, film. And and um, I'm not sure if there's one happening this year, but last year was the, the first one. And we were able to host two really great events there. Both of them were called Brownsville 2030. Uh, space city and so one of them included uh one of them was a networking mixer which was really cool a lot of people showed up uh we had some great beer from the guys from pluton brewing company brownsville's first and very own brewing company i don't think they have a location yet but hopefully that'll come soon and the other one was a panel it was a speaker panel uh called yeah brownsville 2030 space city and uh, I moderated that. Um, Richard spoke, Dr. Mario Diaz spoke, and our other friend, Josh Mejia, who from the Brownsville Community Improvement Corporation, spoke. And the, the revolving theme of that conversation was exactly what Richard was saying, that, that there's things going on here. There's SpaceX is here building an interplanetary spaceport. The UTRGV is here studying the edges of the universe and the sounds that happen millions and billions of light years away. And so it's very obvious that it's becoming a, a space city. We, we called it space city. We don't want to use that right now because, yet because, or we don't want to use that because Houston kind of took that title. So we're trying to brand, brand it as something else. I like Gateway to the Cosmos. But like yeah. Richard said, we, we talked about how we talked about at that. The reason it was called Brownsville 2030 was because we kept reiterating that it was there, that, that there's something brewing here and that the, the community wants to be a part of it. And there's this potential that's there that just needs to be tapped, which is Richard's quote. I'm not going to steal that. <laughs> and <laughs> and then I think very quickly after that, we were like, wait, it's already happening. Like, <laughs> it's not going to happen in 2030. It's already taking place. It's already taking off. And there was uh, that same night, that networking mixer, so many people showed up. There's already a lot of people that want to be a part of it. There's already people who are interested and, and the science and the space exploration is taking off and, um, and yeah, it's changed. Things are changing. And, and it's not, I remember we were talking about this so many times before, but uh, it's not a matter of if, but when and how much the Brownsville community gets involved and uh, going back to the mission of stars. This is again, one of our purposes is to make sure that people realize what's actually happening right in their backyard. I mean, so one one day, very soon, uh, you're going to see rocket launches from that spaceport quite regularly going to orbit, going to the moon, going to Mars and beyond. Um, and it's going to be a regular occurrence. It's just going to be like living near an airport and seeing planes every day. And, and, and it just all depends on how much the Brownsville community um, gets up to speed with this and gets involved. Uh, so there's a lot of potential for involvement here, and we're hoping to be the gateway to that. The gateway to the cosmos. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how about uh, how about uh, something related? I, I I know there were a couple of other projects that we could talk about. Um, stuff that we were doing that uh, a little bit more long term. I know for one of those things is the solar system walk. We should talk about that and uh, and our home. And that's for the for a little bit later of a discussion too. But where we're going to actually have so stars doesn't have a physical location right now yet. 
but it will, and that's one of our long-term projects. So maybe do you want to talk about the, the solar system walk a little bit, or, or if, if there was something we missed on this past subject first? Yeah, we can. So yeah, uh, we could talk about the solar system walk. Uh, we started working with uh, Texas Southmost College, TSC, which is uh, very close to UTRGV. I think at one point they were the same school, um, and, or they shared a lot of resources at least. Back in 2003, uh, Carol and a couple other people from the community helped install a solar system walk, which is uh, basically a, a two-scale model of the solar system that that you know usually ranges from like three-fourths of a mile to a mile and a half or however big of a space you have. I think the one at TSE was about three-fourths of a mile. And basically it starts with the sun uh, and then you have th all the planets in the to in the scale that they are in the solar system, but in a walkable distance. And so we, it was very uh, run down with, it, it started, it happened in 2003. And, uh, and I think all the, all of them were just the plaque or plaque with the, a stand with the name of the planet on a plaque and um, like a metal ball to represent each planet. Yeah. And by now all of the planets have been stolen <laughs> and some of the stands are, are just not in great condition. So last year or, or the year before that, we reached out to TSC and said, let's work together to redo this thing. So we started, we, we started working on, on redoing that. So we, we were looking on to, to revamp that completely and, and improve on that and make a really, make it really modern, make it really sustainable and, and have a lot of cool information about, about each planet in the solar system. And uh, also pair that with uh, online resources that lead back to our website, which maybe you can talk about now. Yeah, I mean, the, the, that's, that's a good, that's actually a good point that you brought up was uh, the digital component of it. So this, the solar system walk, the idea would be, you would be walking, let's say, and come across the planets, and there'll be some sort of link to a digital domain. So probably a QR code or something you could scan for more information. The The, the ultimate goal is to have a virtual solar system that becomes uh, uh, more of like a separate website, but uh, these are uh, portals to that website. And so you can you can go on the solar system tour. There'll be a plaque of information there that you can read. But um, if you're a kid and you're suddenly extremely inspired by Mars and you scan that, you'll be able to go to a 3D rendering of Mars with all the information you could ever want, all the resources, all the missions that have gone there, everything we know about Mars in a digital domain, uh, which will, at this point, we're going to have on the STARS website in, in the future, but um, eventually it'll be too big for that. And we'll have to have our own separate website for that. And uh, that, that, I mean, I was inspired by this one video. I think a lot of people might've seen this. It was, it was a pretty famous video of uh, a couple of filmmakers that went out into the desert and uh, they made a scale solar system model, but the one that could be seen at night and with a time lapse. So it would actually, uh, they'd be able to go around on like a circle. Like, and this was several miles in scale. So they took a, a wide panoramic landscape shot of the solar system to scale using glowing balls. And I thought it would be really cool to have like a nighttime component to this too. Maybe at Resaca de la Palma someday as well, where during a, a star party at night, there will be a trail that you could, instead of going to the observatory, you could take a walk with your family down a, a dark trail, but you'll see these uh, waypoints down the way. And every time you come up to one, it'll be a glowing version of, of, of the planet. And that's, these are, these are the types of visions that Victor and I talk about all, all the time. And uh, we're hoping to have all of the direction we can to make this a reality in the future. So. 
Yeah, luckily the community and all these organizations have been really willing to work with us. So that's that. I mean, uh, like I said before, we're nothing without all of those organizations. So thank yeah. you to that. Thank you. Yeah, thank thank you to the organizations. Thank you to the community in general and showing your interest. I mean, like I said before, this is you you you're you are the inspiration and the reason why we do what we do is for the the people of Brownsville and and beyond. Whoever listens to this podcast or comes across our website, no matter where you are in the world. We hope that it can enrich your lives too with astronomy. Um, how about a place to go? Uh, do we have a home yet? No, we don't. We, 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 did, we did used to operate at Angelita's, which is an awesome coffee shop, by the way. Um, and, and so we started to plan a future home for stars. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, like you said, we used to have our meetings at, at Angelita's. Uh, and that's where all we used to get all the people who are interested in, in being a part of STARS. And, you know, we've always been very community-based. So we, since the first meeting we had there, we said, we want to hear from you guys what you want. And we made sure that we weren't just running this thing in the background. We wanted to get the input from the community members who, who showed interest to see what they wanted and, and mold ourselves into that. And I think we've been doing a pretty good job with that. Uh, more recently, starting last year, we, we started working with a, a few organizations. Um, on a space and science museum in the in the midi cultural district and so yeah it's going to be it's right off the highway and uh in, in the cultural district and it's a right now it's a big warehouse but hopefully within the next three to four or five years not sure how long it's going to take probably a while but we're going to have a museum for space and science which will literally be a, a physical a gateway to get involved in all the things that we've been talking about and we're hoping to have you know really cool just general space and science exhibits that that showcase um, how astronomy really is the original science it, you know without astronomy there is no geology biology chemistry it's it's all encompassing and and we hope to show that through these exhibits but then also and also uh, showcase the things that are going on right here and and have these physical exhibits show people and be able to have them be able to interact with that stuff uh, particularly the the gravitational wave research that's going on with uh, through LIGO through, and through the CTMO here and uh, also SpaceX. Yeah exactly I mean we had a couple of visions with this place um I draw a lot of inspiration from my trips to the Air and Space Museum in Washington. And um, I've been to the LIGO Livingston. So there's two LIGO detectors, one's in Hanford, Washington state, and then one's in, in Livingston, Louisiana. I've taken a trip there and they have this awesome interactive museum. Um, and, and, and it's just like a lot of these different places. Also the, um, the, the Natural Academy of Sciences, which is the first museum I ever went to. And you have a big triceratops when you first walk in as a kid, that's just amazing to see. And, um, that's the type of impact that we're going to have with this place. I mean, you can imagine having rocket boosters, like actual rocket boosters on the campus. Um, what NASA likes to coin a hyper wall, which is a really big collection of amazing TV screens and showing um, multi-messenger astronomy and maybe having a physical, like we talked about the website would show where CTMO is looking all the different telescopes. You could go to the museum and see that, interact with the telescopes there and have a range of activities from little kids going on field trips or going with their family all the way to adults who are just discovering this now. We'd also be training teachers as well. So it's not just a museum. There's also going to be an educational component where 
uh, high school teachers, um, for instance, if they want to have a, a much more advanced physics and astronomy curriculum and get trained by us, uh, by the university, by professors and graduate students to, to teach these more advanced cop, uh, topics to, to, to students, all of this is going to happen there. Probably a cafe too. I would like to call it a space, the space bar or something like that. But. Yeah, cafe bar. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, one, one thing that we've definitely talked about and, and that's probably definitely going to go in there is you, you talk, can you tell the story about the hyperwall? <laughs> oh yeah. That, so I was at a, um, uh, it's a triple AS, the uh, American Association for the Advancement of Science. And uh, it was a, an expo. Uh, it was my, actually my first like main expo I've ever been to. So I, I was uh, sent by Mario uh, back in 2018 with a few colleagues. So Moises Castillo and Walton Rattray. Uh, we drove up to, uh, it was in, where, uh, where was it exactly? It was in Austin. Yeah, we went to, it was in Austin. And uh, we had to take a LIGO exhibit there. So we were, we were actually exhibiting at this expo uh, for LIGO and for CGWA. And uh, we had like a TV screen. A re- we, had, we, we, we bought this really nice TV screen for it. And we thought we were so cool. And suddenly NASA sets up. Of course, nobody's cooler than NASA, at least for, in my opinion, but maybe SpaceX at this point, but you know. Um, NASA sets up next to us and they have this just really much bigger television screen, multiple components, and they have a microphone and suddenly the crowd just goes like right over there. And I went over too, to be honest, but (laughs) I like, I said, Walton, I'm going to be right back. And I like walked over, they they were giving away a lot of free stuff. And, um, and, and, and this hyper wall just blew my mind because they were able to like show different things at the same time or then show one thing across multiple screens at the same time and it was interactive and i don't know if you could touch it and move it but they were they had a control for it and they were showing like 3d models of the earth like they were showing client their climate research models they were showing space exploration and i was like this is this is amazing the, these hype this hyperwall technology can be used for us as well um uh and the first thing i thought of was multi-messenger astronomy so like imagine looking at a single object, let's say a nebula or something like that, in every single wavelength of light. And you could have a screen showing how that thing evolves, but in radio, in x-ray, in gamma, in optical and infrared, all of the different wavelengths of light at the same time, uh, giving a much more intuitive and visual understanding of what multi-messenger astronomy actually is. Because this, not to go too off tangent here, but this is like just as an exceptional jump into a new era of astronomy, just like when Galileo first pointed the telescope at the sky. I mean, the, the, the spyglass, as it was called at the time, was immediately thought of for military purposes. And Galileo was like, huh, what would happen if I look at something with that? And, you know, modern binoculars are much more powerful than that telescope was. But the era of multi-messenger astronomy into which we find ourselves right now is like a new fundamental leap just as big as Galileo because now astronomy is done in a totally different way and it's awesome. We're learning, I mean, we're learning so much in these five years and that, that's what that hyperwall would be a tool to, 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 to teach that type of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm picturing it huge and interactive. I really hope it's interactive. But yeah, I love that idea of just showing the same object in so many different ways and we're hoping to... Uh, to link that up with NASA also they have so many different telescopes out there space telescopes and ground-based telescopes that that see things in in uh, 
optical light and infrared and gamma and everything. And so, yeah, being able to, to show something, even just in the book I was, I'm reading right now has pictures of, of different things of, of like the earth in different forms of, in different frequencies and, and not just the visible frequencies. And just right. it's so interesting how, yeah, we can see light. We can see things. We can see a lot of things, but everything we can see falls into such a small little bit of frequency on this huge electromagnetic spectrum that yeah. it's, it's insane. And, and it's not just the electromagnetic spectrum out too, right? It's also gravitational waves and neutrinos, which are not even on that spectrum. Yeah. These are totally different channels. So like uh, having intuitive ways of understanding this is going to be really important, especially for, you know, children. Uh, when I was, when I was a child and I was learning about the cutting edge astronomy and whatever books I can grab from the library. I mean, I, I already had my, my, my mind was blown with all of that stuff. And that was before gravitational waves were detected. Like when I was born, black holes weren't even fully established observationally as a fact yet. I mean, there's evidence of black holes certainly since the seventies. Um, but it wasn't until 2015 that they were directly observed and proven to exist. So within my own lifetime, within Victor's own lifetime, we've gone from just as one example, do black holes exist to black holes are all over the place and we're hearing them all the time. In fact, I should just say that LIGO at its full peak sensitivity will be able to listen to every single stellar mass black hole merger in the observable universe. So we'll be able to hear pops all over the place from different directions and all the way out to as much as we can observe of these black holes colliding with each other. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. And this is something that we need to open to the community. I mean, this is no way we can keep this to ourselves. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I, I also, there was one other project I, I wanted to talk about unless you had other ones, but the, um, the dark sky initiative, we talked about a lot of the habitat of the climate, the habitat of Brownsville, the fact that it's birding. We didn't talk about the turtles. There's a turtle center there on South Padre Island. And, um, and, 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 and we have an optical observe. We have a couple of optical observatories in Brownsville. We started this dark sky initiative. Do you want to, do you want to talk about that a little bit there? Sure. So for those of you who don't know, there's a, a, a huge organization called the International Dark Sky Association mm-hmm. and and they fight for darker skies. Light pollution is a is a huge problem now and uh, you know it's great that places like Brownsville and, and places all over the world are developing and technology is advancing but with all that light you know we do, if we don't know how to how to use it properly then then we the light scatters and it causes light pollution and it it can cause a, a lot of issues. Um, for us here at the observatory, uh, and for you know the ones that just like stargazing, an obvious issue is that you can't see the stars anymore. You know, if you go to New York City at night, you're probably not going to see that many stars out. Um, Brownsville is not New York City, but <laughs> it's the light pollution is growing a little bit in general in in Brownsville and the Valley, and so we started an initiative with uh, with other organizations to help fight that, to help um, educate people on the dangers of, of light pollution if we let it, if we don't control it, and, and to start taking steps towards uh, treating our lighting situation a little better and, and taking more proactive steps to uh, keeping the dark skies, not just for astronomy, that's obviously that's one of our priorities, but there's so many organizations that, that are interested for different reasons. Uh, like Richard mentioned, there is Sea Turtles Incorporated. I think they're based in South Padre Island and uh, Sea Turtles use 
stars to navigate themselves back into the water. And, and that's really important for their um, just lifestyles. And, uh, and, and so light pollution messes with that. And, and yeah. so they are also big advocates for darker skies. We've teamed up with uh, Laguna Tascosa National Wildlife Refuge, and they, you know, they have a lot of nocturnal wildlife that also um, are affected negatively by light pollution. It throws off their rhythms, and even for us, it throws off our uh, circadian rhythms that that help us, you know, wake up and go to sleep. Um, and if you need to understand a little bit better what that means, if you try to have you ever tried to go to sleep and uh, start using your phone when well, your phone emits a lot of blue light and so if you're up at three in the morning on twitter on facebook wondering why yet you can't go to sleep it's the blue light in your brain and so light pollution outside can cause the same effect yeah yeah it's a it's an astronomical concern just as much as as a public health concern and a natural wildlife concern um we we at the, the the status of the project at this point we need to do a lot of the legwork and this is where I mean people can get involved with this is to measure our local sky we actually have to take measurements and report it to the association so right now pretty much where it stands is to have a uh, a coordinated effort to measure our local sky to put together a case study and then submit this to that association so they can tell us. Um, what level of there's different levels of sky dark sky initiative that you can that you can have it's a dark sky site like i've been to um i've been to a couple of them like if you go to the grand canyon for instance there's a really cool plaque which i would love to emulate and put in brownsville somewhere um it's like a cartoonized really cool matte version of the grand canyon and its international dark sky association site i can imagine driving into brownsville like when you're driving south down into the valley Moises, my good friend Moises and, and colleague told me, you know, when you're entering the Rio Grande Valley, when you start to see palm trees uh, down the center of the, of the, of the highway of I-69. And uh, I can imagine entering the valley in this way with a giant billboard sign, like welcome to Brownsville's, you know, gateway to the cosmos. We are a dark sky site. Like the, the possibilities are endless. And um, this is just one of the many initiatives that we're trying to do. You know yeah light that sign up in leds and just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly like really blue leds pointed upward exactly how hypocritical would that be yeah we're a dark sky site with the brightest leds out yeah and uh you know spacex is not the only um launch uh, launch site there there's also well there, i mean it's the only launch site uh it's not the only space corporation there we have united launch alliance as well which is based in harlinch and victor has contact there and We've um, we've opened a dialogue with them, trying to coordinate all of this with these different players. Yeah, yeah, United Launch Alliance, which is Boeing and Lockheed Martin, right? A joint alliance between them, and and they actually so they they have a uh, another a rocket factory. It's not a launch site, but it is a it's called a, a rocket factory. So we do have two of those here, yeah. and um, I think they they take care mostly of integrations here, and so a lot of the the missions that NASA and, and other collaborations like uh, ESA, the European Space Agency, they will send the, the missions and satellites, they'll send them here uh, and they get integrated into the fairings here. Uh, they aren't uh, as open as SpaceX as the whole world probably knows now. <laughs> SpaceX is, is literally building Starship, you know, just out in the open, which is great for the community, great for the whole world because everybody can see what they're doing all the time. There's so many 
just live streams going on even 24 seven and more going on when they're, when they're doing testing. Um, and, and yeah, we, we're very, we're very big on, on this science, uh, in the South Texas Astronomical Society, but the space flight and, and space exploration is also very important. And we, we've been, we've worked with, uh, SpaceX a little bit at that, at that, at the Crossroads Festival, they were, they were there, they had a presentation to open up the, the panel and they, um, also so joined us at the networking mixer and, and gave out some free merch, some free swag. <laughs> and, and yeah, we've been, we've been in talks with them also recently. Um, another cool thing that we are doing, we submitted an application about a month ago now uh, in partnership with the children's museum and the, in the school district uh, for a NASA downlink. So um, recently in November, SpaceX launched three NASA astronauts to the International Space Station. And so they also, they host what, what's called a downlink, where if selected, you can get an opportunity to host a Q&A, a live Q&A with the astronauts. So the signal would go from the ISS to Houston uh, to us. So yeah, that we should be finding out by the end of this month or beginning of next month, if we get that, that would be pretty cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's that, and, and there's just uh, other ways that we've uh, been hoping to to work with SpaceX and, and maybe ULA also in the future. So that's it's exciting. Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be more companies that are going to migrate there or even start up there. There's a lot of space tech that can be built by small companies, and um, entrepreneurialism is going to be boundless there. And I think that starting not just you know. Having having the community should be the primary the primary basis the community and 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 bringing awareness and and engaging the community in these events and then also creating a climate for more space companies to come down there and to participate. I mean, you're going to need, um, for instance, to track satellites in space and track rockets in space. So a whole slew of radio technology needs to be built for that. And um, so the the and and you know I remember when I first moved down to Brownsville, reading just a little bit about it that. Uh, and I'm sure this still stands. Uh, I could be wrong, but that's Brownsville is the number one place in the country to start a business. The business potential climate is at its maximum there. It's also got the lowest cost of living. So there's these like, there's great economic incentive as well as the tech that's already there to build space business and, and to expand that. And a lot of the more people that are aware of that, the more they can get involved, apply for these jobs, start companies themselves, it's, I, I can't wait to see it transform over the next decade. Yeah. And that, that really is kind of a, a priority for us because you're right. It's, it's, it's booming and it's happening and it's, it's um, things are growing here and entrepreneurship is becoming huge. And what we want is to make sure the community is aware of that because there's people all over the world that are paying attention to these kinds of things and they're, they're looking at it. Um, and, and, you know, SpaceX saw that. Um, and they're here. Actually, they just opened up. Oh, they just put the sign up. It's not open yet, but they just opened up a Tesla literally five minutes from this observatory. Wow. Uh, it's a, it's going to be a showroom and service center. It's actually it's like at the intersection of, of the highway and uh, FM 511, where you have to go all the where you have to get off the highway and go down to, to get to Boca Chica. So it makes a lot of sense that a lot of all the Teslas going to SpaceX are going to have that a the service old, center. Is that the old Mito exit? 
It's the one right after. Yeah, it's it's right by there. So do you remember that plaza where where like Wing Barn was at? And, oh and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Taco, right? Yeah, that it's yeah the plaza for for seventeen thirty two, which is where you come to the observatory. The it's like right there. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's the that's how I would drive to work every night. You know, I had a nine to five. It was a nine p.m. to five a.m. and I would drive up there. So that's cool. That Tesla is. Uh, they have a show, the showroom there that's being built. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so you have businesses happening here, and and it's happening, and and we really just we want the community to be a part of it because, uh, like you said, there's potential here, and it it needs to be tapped, and it is being tapped, and so uh, we're just here trying to do our parts in making people aware of what's going on here, educating them on on why, not just educating them on what's happening, but educating them on why it matters and making sure we always see the bigger picture um and and then yeah hopefully the result will be that the community here will grow into these roles and like you said apply for these jobs and start their own businesses and uh and make it a beautiful place more beautiful than it already is yeah and yeah it's gonna it's it's all uphill from here that's for sure so so that that is pretty much all the the projects that we're that we've been doing in the past and uh that's taking us into the future right now we um we were going to give a little bit of a status update first i'm going to actually share with you the website that we have so i'm i'm going to do a share screen here real quick i have it on our receding horizons podcast page so we're star society rgv.org um You'll find all the podcast posts here as well as on YouTube and other platforms as well. Um, you can find uh, stuff about events and our, and some of the projects. So we talked about these three, for instance, and there's going to be more here um, and find ways to connect. Uh, our, this, this website is like our hub. So every, all of our activity uh, occurs through here. Uh, we're going to be updating this a lot more because uh, as we've been talking about, there's a lot of exciting stuff that happens. Um, and so Victor, do you want to talk about perseverance? Yeah, sure. So, so like Richard said, we'll just uh, we're doing a lot. The website is going to be a a living thing and probably um, being updated as as we produce content. Uh, we're doing this podcast. We also have a blog space up there. There's a couple of articles there. We will be growing that. Um, we will probably start up um, the video series that that we started last year, which is called gateway to the cosmos not sure we'll keep the name or give it a unique name every time but um we're, we're hoping to that will be our way of doing live events i think so uh more on that coming really soon uh one of the the things that we're working on right now which uh, by before the end of this month um maybe before after this this podcast is posted we will be announcing uh, uh another collaboration we're doing to celebrate uh the pers the landing of the perseverance rover on Mars. It's landing on February 18th. And so we're going to have a, a few cool, cool things going on uh, for that as a way to, to let people know what's going on and, and have them get involved. So um, yeah, that'll be coming very soon. Yeah. Stay tuned for that. And this is, uh, this was our pilot episode. So it's episode zero. This was an exhibition of everything that we're doing in stars, what we've, what we've done in the past, our history, the, a little bit about what is going on in the Valley and the climate and what to expect. So for the next coming episodes, well, we're going to be going a little bit more into detail about very specific topics in astronomy and space exploration. We're hoping to have a lot of guests, you know, experts, enthusiasts, everybody is welcome. Um, so we're going to have a couple of exciting episodes coming up. Uh, and 
stay tuned for that. Yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you. And uh, with that, these are Receding Horizons. Thank you.